the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back uh, Friday uh, as we hit our third hour. It is a delight to have in studio uh, something I'm getting feedback, becoming one of our increasingly more popular uh, segments. It's a delight to welcome back to the studio Rabbi Pinchas Alush. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. We try and end our weeks with him every Friday. He spells his name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. If you want to check out his podcast on Apple Podcasts, they're only about three to five minutes. And they can change your week. They can change your life. He is also the head rabbi at Congregation Beth Tefila here in Scottsdale on Shea Boulevard. Uh, Beth Tefila, Beth, B-E-T-H, Tefila, T-E-F-E-L-L-I-A. F-I-L-L-A-H. I-L-L-A-H. I'm spelling it like Joe Biden spells the word billion. Rabbi Alush, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. It's a delight to have you as always. Delight to be back. Got a lot to do with you today. Uh, I want to start with your podcast, Facing Inward and Outward, Facing the World, Facing an Inward and Outward Facing World. Uh, You're going to get us into a little Kabbalah here, sort of. Yes? Mm -hmm. A little bit. In a way, yes. Yes. A Kabbalah, though, that is relevant and accessible to all. But the idea is that we do live in an age of destruction, as someone called it, where we face outward all the time. And it's not our fault. We're bombarded all the time, even if we're just sitting on a computer by advertisements and distractions and uh, it is becoming increasingly more difficult to face inward to stop the noise from without and focus on the soul from within and uh, the values from within and the family from within and uh, really that's what this podcast is about that from time to time we need those moments in which we face within so that we are better equipped to face those many moments in which we are consciously or subconsciously, intentionally or unintentionally facing outward. You start with a story. The reason I had mentioned the Kabbalah, you mentioned, you start with a story uh, about um, what, what, what was told in the name name of uh, one of the great authors. Um, basically, what what was it? Thirteen years to slow the spread of Roman tyranny. Is that what you might call it? Right. Yeah. This it is the story of one of the great Jewish luminaries. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai of 2,000 years ago. He lived during the times when the Romans, in which the Romans came and took control of the land of Israel and, and imposed their evil decrees on the entire nation. And uh, they were also persecuting the leaders of the Jewish nation, knowing that if the head goes, then the rest of the body goes, as, as Muhammad Ali put it. <laughs> but but um, So he was one of uh, those leaders in their most wanted list. And he went to hide together with his son in a cave for 13 years. But he looked at that period of his life not as a period in which he was punished, in which he had uh, lost all this, uh, these great blessings that may have happened to him during those 13 years. But he really looked at that period of time as a period of recharge, of resetting, of um, equipping himself with all of the study and all of the wisdom and all of the tools, really, that he would need in order to then go back out and face 
a world that is devastated by the Romans. And when he is greeted and discovered by his father-in-law? Father-in-law. Yes, this was the springboard for your this was the springboard for your podcast. That's yes. That's right. Yes. Yes. So when he was greeted by his father-in-law, his father-in-law could barely recognize him 13 years in a cave has an impact on the your physical appearance and he was he was shocked. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai tells his father-in-law, "Don't look at it that way. Look at it as a man that has become wiser." Mhm. Not a man that has become physically weaker, but a man has become spiritually stronger. And I think that that provides perspective on really two big ideas, maybe more. But idea number one is that, indeed, sometimes, as we mentioned, we have to go inside to be better equipped to deal with the outside. But also it provides us with that big idea that, Really, we always have two ways to look at our lives, even the most difficult parts of our lives. We can find the blessing in it or the curse in it. Rabbi Shimon Baruchai chose to look at the blessing in it, and that's how we ought to live. The notion that one wants to or needs to isolate a little bit from the distractions is one of the lessons we take from you and from this story. Uh and it's a fine line on several levels. It's a fine line because we don't want to isolate too much. We have to be part of the world. We should be part of the world, uh, an argument I would make. Mm-hmm. Uh, you always please correct or fix fix whatever I say that doesn't comport with your understanding. Uh, that's one. And then the other, the looking inward. The looking inward has always been an interesting challenge philosophically for me, Rabbi, because um, you, if if you're looking inward, um, not everyone has great insights that will yield great insights. I suppose one might play with the language that way, but you 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 probably take what I'm saying. Um, we 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 talked about this some weeks ago, didn't we? So if you are a, a scholar of that of that repute, that import, and that quality, it makes a lot of sense. But you need to bring some outside tools of wisdom with you to reflect upon, yeah? That's correct, yes. But I I would say that the looking inward really refers to our ability to develop our soul, uh, to listen to our deeper self, to uh, find our purpose of the day or our purpose of life altogether. And uh, that's where it starts. It continues on with focusing also on our family members very often. How many of us neglect our family because of yet another business deal or yet another phone call that we think we have to pick up and we ignore our children and we ignore our spouse? That also is what focusing inwards relates to. And then there's another layer to focusing inwards, not just the self, not just the family, but I would also say focusing on our immediate neighborhoods Mm -hmm. because we are champions at uh, saving animals in Africa. And, uh, you know, giving a nice donation to to the climate uh, or, or whatever it may be. But what about the people that are right next to us, our own communities? Mm-hmm. That's where it begins. Yeah. And that's where the facing inwards really starts. I like that. I have a – that's interesting about how we sometimes neglect our families. I haven't thought of this in a while. A friend of mine years and years and years ago wrote a um, one of those business, uh, business self-help books, uh, marketing-type books, and – the title was something like treat your family like your customer mm. because there was a tendency that people go out into the world in their day-to-day, work-a-day, their business operations and what have you, 
and um, they're not the same person at home. They're not as good at home as they are when it comes to customers, when it comes to clients. Right. Uh, you sometimes will find spouses of great heroes in the media or in, pub- in, in public life and say oh, to the spouse, oh, it must be so wonderful to be married to that person. And sometimes you get a little silence coming back, right? <laughs> they're, not always, they're not always the person you see in public isn't always the same at home. That's right, unfortunately, and it happens to some of the great leaders. It happened to some of the great leaders. You know, I, I was born in France, and I remember reading the, the, the education book of Jean-Jacques Rousseau, uh-huh. Les Mille. And uh, apparently it's an education book that is still used and told today by many educators. But it's This is the great sailor, the, the inventor of scuba. Th- yeah. That's right. Oh, okay. But it's interesting to find out when we look deeper into who this man was, yeah. that he had children, yeah. that he simply abandoned at the footsteps of the hospital. And here's a man who's teaching about education. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really it, – it's astounding to f- notice that phenomenon that does exist of people who are great – at taking care of the world, but are terrible at taking care of themselves. Boy, I've seen that again and again too, Rabbi. Uh, for years and years and years, the probably leading, most cited, most respected child psychologist was a man named Bruno Bettelheim. Mm-hmm. And at the end, in in the seventies, I mean, he was everywhere. He was as bigger then than someone like Jordan Peterson is now, and not controversial. Is so, I mean, twice as big in 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 that sense. And uh, when he passed away, the stories came out about all of the abuse. And that. So you, you sometimes a friend of mine once said when I, I, I have this – I sometimes maybe engage in, in a little too much hero worship, but that, that would be the extreme form of it. But a friend of mine once said, you know, don't, don't research these people too carefully. Research their works. Don't research their human <laughs> – don't right. re- research their biographies too right. carefully. But I wonder how much better their work would be and their impact would exactly. be if they were facing inwards. Right. I, I think if I may add a, a biblical dimension to this, I, I think it is rooted in the creation of Adam. Okay. When God creates Adam, he creates him tw- twice, okay. in Genesis 1 and in Genesis 2. And I think God is creating two facets of Adam. The first one is the facet that must be engaged with the world, as you mentioned, yeah. that must be out there. But the second facet of Adam is the facet that must face inward. And really develop the soul from within. That's so interesting. I would, and I would add another biblical thing too. So the example maybe of a Cousteau or a Bettelheim, um, the shame being that one wonders how much more their legacy would have been did they not have those negatives discovered about them later. Because what's the biblical phrase? A good name is higher than the price of rubies or something like that. And that's that's what it means, doesn't it? Uh, it's not just who you are when you're alive. It's the garden. And what the fruit yields after you pass. That's right. Yeah. Rabbi Elushin, I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Rabbi Pinchas Alush with me in studio. He is the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast on Apple Podcasts, A L L O U C H E. Uh, you can also follow him on uh, Facebook, active Facebook account as well. Rabbi, this idea of the import of getting away a little bit from the world, getting away from the noise, uh, sometimes I think we live in what's called what I call a crisis industrial complex, a frenzy and agitation. It's important. A lot of people talk about how they like to wake up in the morning and take a few moments or a little bit of time of meditation or maybe close the evening with a little bit of meditation, and I can see the import of all that 
as well. But it needs it's there's 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 another line a fine line I want to ask you about with regard to that because you don't want to isolate too terribly much, right? I mean, we are commanded to be out in the world. You and I have a have a um, mutual acquaintance who once told me uh, that um, that that she learns nothing from monks who live in isolation hmm. because they have no experience with the world. Right. Um, there, there is a fine line between you know having the meditation as the break in the moment and uh, self isolation to the point that we now see actual. Um, psychological clinical problems with with people who isolate too much, yeah? Right, Uh, absolutely. I would say it's that fine balance between the human doing and the human being. And in a way, I think on a spiritual level, it really relates to the composition of the human being because we really are made of two different matters. Mm -hmm. The first one is the body and the second is the soul. Mm -hmm. The body does want to engage with the world. It even wants to find pleasure in the world. And there's really nothing wrong in that. But the soul wants something else. The soul does want to meditate. The soul wants to soar to the heavens. The soul wants to be soulful, to do good, for example. And very often we are so engaged with the world that we forget that the soul also has its own separate desires. Mm -hmm. And to be well-balanced, to be healthy emotionally, even mentally, we need to be able to find that good and and uh, uh, well thought of balance between the human doing and the human being. You know, this gets us into probably the importance of the Sabbath um, and what people do in the observation of that. I have found increasingly in the movement I live in, in the political conservative movement, I've increasingly found uh, non-Jewish conservative spokesmen, thinkers, that sort of thing, talking about how important important a lesson there is to draw from observant Jews on Saturday. And some of them even going so far as to saying we might even have to think about or contemplate thinking about a national Sabbath, uh, a, a national Sabbath uh, holiday as a, as, a, as a form of law because of the benefits one gets from taking a little bit of retreat from the frenzy in the world. I agree, and I think that's really the gift of the Sabbath that enables us to separate ourselves from the world and its dealings and to focus inward. Um, It's a detox day, I would call it, a digital detox day, uh, uh, work detox day, and uh, it really recharges the person. You know, as you're speaking, I'm thinking of of Leo Tolstoy. Mm -hmm. He wrote a short story by the by the name of "How Much Land Does a Man Need?" Okay, and it's a, it's a cute story about this man. I think his name was Pacham, who was uh, given a challenge by a very wealthy man who owned a lot of real estate. This wealthy man told Pacham, "Look, I will let you own a, 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 any amount of real estate that I own, but the challenge for you is to run from sunrise to sunset through all of my fields." The land that you will cover through your runs will be the land that you will own. So he starts off at sunrise the next day, and he starts running and covering as much land, covering as much land. He doesn't take a break, and he continues to run and run. By the time sunset comes, he's still running, and eventually he collapses at sunset, reaching yet another inch with his arm to try and cover even more land that he hopes he can own. And then he dies. At the end, Leo Tolstoy says, says, 
the only land that this man really owned was a five by two coffin yeah. where he, uh, you know, where he was inserted in, yeah. that, in, in the plot of his, land he exactly. was buried in That's at right. the end of the day. That's right. And in a way, it reminds us of this crazy rat race that yeah. we're in so often. Yeah. Yet we forget that really there is so much more to life than covering land, than owning land. We have to own ourselves, own our families first, and then our lives will indeed be very balanced. Yeah, it's about, it's about a little bit of perspective, too. I have known a lot of people who take their Sabbath very seriously, whether Jewish on Saturdays or non-Jewish on Sundays, and even so much on Sundays that I wouldn't say it was the same kind of observance, but they didn't like to do business on Sundays. Some of them very successful, as I'm sure you've known many of these types as well. And routinely, they will tell you um, they miss no business. I mean, they have no regrets about any business calls or research they didn't do on that day. It, um, to, to take a day off has, has, has led to negativity in their bank accounts, zero. Right. And I think that's right. Maybe because they're so much more productive during the week. Maybe. Maybe. There's an element of that. I'm sure that people who have a recharge uh, are more productive. But I also think that, you know, and we see that by dying people. I know we've spoken about this, that the greatest regrets is not not having another business deal. Right. But it's really not spending more time with family. Right. And in a way, that Sabbath and that day of recharge, of detox, as we called it, is a day that reprioritizes life so that we really make the important important and the more trivial trivial. Yeah, that's really interesting. It, it, it does put that perspective together, the more important important and the trivial in its place, trivial, because that is – I can't do it from memory – this is very faded for me, Rabbi. You may be no. able to help me out. Sure. But at the at the at the ceremony at the end of the Sabbath called the Havdalah, that's what the blessing is about, isn't it? Understanding the distinction between the unimportant and the important, the critical and the frivolous, the sacred and the profane. Is my memory somewhat close on this? Oh, you're right. Your memory is, is okay. impeccable. Oh, well, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what the Havdalah Something is about. Like that, right? That's correct. To remind Itself us, may mean separation. That's very, very well said. That's right. That's right. Havdalah means separation. And indeed, as we exit that day of recharge, we are reminded one more time before we hit the world that there is a great difference between the holy and the profane, the weekday and the Sabbath, uh-huh. and so on and so forth, because uh, it, it will ensure that we maintain that focus on indeed what is important even when we're out there in the world. I remember certain uh, rabbis that might be considered orthodox I'd spent some time with uh, in Boston uh, and some in Texas. I remember they uh, they liked to do that Havdalah ceremony as late as possible <laughs> because they liked the concept of bringing the Sabbath as far into the week as possible, so to speak. I'm sure, That's right. I'm sure you've seen some of that, too. Mm-hmm. Want to talk a little bit about uh, the holiday we just had, Lagba Omer? Sure. Uh, when we come back, and then what the next one is, and then we'll talk about the Torah portion of the week. Yes, absolutely. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. A L L O U C H E. He is the head of Congregation Beth Tefillah in uh, on Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale, uh, open to all comers, as he uh, routinely says, Jewish or non-Jewish, observant or non-observant. He and I will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to have Rabbi Pinchas Alush in studio with me. We try and close out our Fridays uh, with a, a little bit of a um, little bit of a spiritual uh, uh, series of thoughts over the course of the week and going into the weekend, and hopefully the Sabbath, uh, or at least some kind of respite from the. Uh, the workaday and banausic challenges we face during the week. Rabbi Alush, uh, we just had a holiday Monday, Tuesday. Tell us a little bit about that and how it is part and parcel and connected to the upcoming next holiday. So, yes, uh, the holiday that we just celebrated, uh, you may have seen this in the news, but uh, was celebrated with bonfires mm-hmm. um, because really um, on uh, this holiday, which is called Lagba Omer, the 33rd day of the Omer is a holiday in which we commemorate the passing of one of the great luminaries that we spoke about before, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, great luminaries of Jewish history, who um, almost single-handedly uh, ensured the survival of the Jewish nation during the Roman persecution uh, some 2,000 years ago. And at the same time, he also introduced to the Jewish world the school of Kabbalah, the school of Jewish mysticism by authoring the most important book of Kabbalah, the Zohar. Zohar means light. And in a way, it really speaks to the light that it brings to uh, all text and to life altogether. It illuminates the text. It brings meaning, relevance to it. And this is also why we light bonfires to commemorate his passing because of the tremendous fire and light Mm -hmm. that he brought to our world by fighting against evil and at the same time bringing in so much goodness and light to our minds and to our actions altogether. Um, That was that holiday. But if I may add, I think that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai also speaks of the value of goodness over evil, that eventually we know through people like Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai that goodness prevails. Evil is very temporary. But if we can maintain goodness and develop it and spread it, eventually that will be victorious. And it has a connection to the next holiday. Yes. So it is somewhat connected to the next holiday, which is a major festival in the Jewish calendar, coming up in two weeks from uh, yesterday, from last night. And that's the festival of Shavuot, which is the festival that really celebrates the giving of the Torah, the five books of Moses, on Mount Sinai some 3,335 years ago. And uh, it's interesting because it's called the Festival of the Giving of the Torah too, not just the Festival of Shavuot. While what happened is that we received the Torah, why would it be called the Giving of the Torah? I mean, if there was no one to receive it, it wouldn't have been a festival. It should have been called the Receiving of the Torah. And the answer is because God gave us the Torah, those five books of Moses, once. We must receive it every single day. It's an exercise to be repeated time and time again. And there's an implication that we haven't fully received it. That's correct. That's right. Because every day there is so much more we can accomplish right. on a divine level. Right. And as long as we haven't inco- accomplished that divine mission, that really we haven't received it fully. Kind of an interesting segue into the portion of the week in a w- way, too. Uh, I can't pronounce it. Can you do it for me? Be- sure. Is it's it be- a double yeah. portion, yeah. Behar and Bechukotai. Thank you. And it sure. comes out of Leviticus yes. 25. And the reason I say this is because we get a whole lot of, a whole lot of um, commandments and a whole lot of warnings about 
what happens if you don't follow those commandments. Um, and it ends on a, on a very high note, of course, a very positive note. But when you think about all those commandments, that's also tied to the notion of the giving of the Torah and the receiving or the accepting of the Torah. So you look at all these things and you say, well, who among us can do all that? Who has accepted all of those rules? Right, right. right. That's right. Laws. But on, that's one way of looking at it. Okay. The other way we can <laughs> The choose, hard way. <laughs> yeah, <okay. laughs> That's right. The more optimistic or maybe <laughs> positive way to look at it <laughs> is to say that God has given us so many bridges yeah. to him yeah. to attain uh, some connection with, with the divine. And it is up to us to pick one or two or three or as many as we can. The more, of course, the better. But these commandments are really those bridges. And I think that, if I may add, that these many commandments also provide a sense of partnership with God. We're not alone in the world. Nicely put, that we have duties beyond just to ourselves or our fellow man, if we circle back to the opening segment of this hour. Let's come back. You're a I think it's a fair thing to say, again, always correct me, that you're a fan of uh, Jonathan Sachs. Yes, absolutely. Uh, former chief rabbi of Great Britain. That's right. And I was reading something he wrote about this portion, and maybe we can talk about it on the other side of this break, that it really represents more than anything the concept of hope. Mm-hmm. Would you like to speak a little bit about hope in this portion when we come back? Sure. Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest, A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Uh, delightful having you here, Rabbi. Rabbi Pinchas Alush, the host of the Rabbi Alush podcast. He is the head rabbi at uh, Congregation Beth Tefillah, which means House of Prayer, up on Shea Boulevard. He uh, asks anyone who has the slightest inkling to go there to uh, please do so, regardless of whatever religion you are or your level of practice if you happen to be Jewish. So this portion of the week, uh, <laughs> you, went, you and I were kind of doing the yin and the yang in the previous segment. Uh, I was looking at it from the negative aspect of all the warnings and the fire and brimstone of it, but it doesn't end that way. It ends on a, uh, on a very upbeat notion. And I was saying that uh, the former chief uh, rabbi of Great Britain, one of the great scholars, I guess of our age, I think mm-hmm. that's probably fair to say that, Jonathan Sachs, he talked about this portion, and the um, this portion is kind of, if I can quote right here, the birth birth of hope. He says, hope is one of the very greatest Jewish contributions to Western civilization, so much so that I have called Judaism the voice of hope in the conversation of humankind. Kind of an interesting way to put it, the conversation of humankind. Feel free to talk a little bit about the importance of hope and how we get that from the from what people could read in two different ways in this portion. Right. So um, there is a theoretical hope and there is a practical hope. And I think this is what uh, Rabbi Sachs is referring to. He's referring to both. Uh, There is the theoretical hope that is really based on the trust of God and uh, knowing that regardless of the challenges, regardless of whether we can see the, uh, the light at the end of the tunnel, as they put it, God will lead us there. Uh, or as someone put it, we do not know what our future holds, but we know who holds our future, uh-huh. and that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. There is a, another dimension to hope, and that's that practical hope, 
hope that is based on the past. I think the story, and maybe this is what Rabbi Sachs is referring to, the story of the Jews is a story that proves that hope is indeed founded on um, on 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 a, a historical journey that uh, defeated all odds and that uh, uh, you know uh, broke all predictions. I think the fact that Jews have survived so much and yet are still here, alive and vibrant, uh, proves that their hope wasn't in vain. Yeah. And that's the practical hope. And it, it was never given up on, right. uh, even in the darkest and, and hardest of times. People, I mean, a lot of people who, who you know, are fascinated by Jews who aren't born in the religion ask those questions a lot. You know, they look at the arc of history and they, and they often, I'm sure that you've been asked a million times, how, 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 do, you, how do you still exist? Right. How is it you still exist? <laughs> and that's, that's part of the miracle story. But again, it proves that having hope is founded and uh, is not as crazy as is founded on facts and not as crazy as we think. The national anthem of Israel right. is the word uh, hope. Uh, Hatikva, right? That's yes, correct. Right. That's right. Hatikva means the hope. Okay. Because the state of Israel being reborn is in a way an expression of the hope of Jews who were exiled for two thousand years that is finally being actualized. I I'll add one more thing to this idea of hope. I think that um, there is hope that comes from despair. That has never really been part of the Jewish lexicon. But there is hope that comes from both trust in God and also the trust in his miracles. That's always been a part of uh, the Jewish lexicon. And there's a, there's a difference between the two because the hope that comes from despair is almost a desperation. The And... It also is all over the place. It's not focused. The hope that comes from trusting God and from uh, this, this, these miracles uh, is a hope that not only is elevating, but is a hope that also is focused on the goal of, uh, that we want to achieve, focused on the miracles that we know can happen. Right. And this is putting God at the center of everything we go through, isn't it? I mean, when you talk to... Um, when you talk to uh, tr- uh, observant Jews, let us say, and you ask them how they're doing, they, the first thing they usually will say is, thank God. Um, there's a lot of that kind of language in the common, in the lingua franca of, of observant Jude- Judaism, isn't that uh, they will say God willing and thank God almost all the time about almost every question they're asked, right? Right, right. Sometimes too before automatically. they go driving before they, <laughs> yeah, I mean. Right, right. It's true because, again, you know, we rely on God to make our highest and even impossible dreams happen. And so far, we've had a pretty good track record with, with God and his miracles. And therefore, this hope is quite well founded. It is, it is easy to read. You, you, you were um, kind in the way you put it uh, when I was looking at this from the more, you know, brimstone and fire side of things. Because one thinks of the prophets and, and how serious uh, they were in their in their in their orations, but as I'm reading here from uh, from Sachs, he said 
to look at things more the way you are telling us to look at them, Rabbi. If I could just read real quickly. Subsequent to Moses, all the prophets delivered the message of hope, each in their own way. Hosea told the people that though they may act like a faithless wife, God remains a loving husband. Amos assured them that God would rebuild even the most devastated ruins. Jeremiah bought a field in Anatot to assure the people that they would return from Babylon. Isaiah became the poet laureate of hope in visions of a world at peace that has never been surpassed. And I think without hope, which is really an essential quality, hope again that is based on trust in God, hope that's based on this track record that we're speaking about, without hope, no dream can fully be achieved and no goal can fully be attained. It is hope that really fuels us, and it's hope that eventually also leads us to the achievement of those goals, however impossible they may seem. Nice. Well, Rabbi Elish, thank you very much. Thanks for coming in, as always. Again, folks, he puts out a weekly podcast. Uh, it's only a few minutes uh, 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 per podcast. Rabbi Pinchas Elush, it's known as the Rabbi Elush Podcast, and he spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E, and his congregation is Congregation Beth Tefillah over on uh, Shea Boulevard in Scottsdale, welcoming all comers. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Seth. My delight. I'm Seth, and be right back. Folks, thinking about uh, the current state of the economy with stock market volatility, inflation, possible recession as well, and, of course, the bank failures, our friends at Y-Refi have an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate return that is not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. It's a, an investment in a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Think of that freedom. There are no fees in this secure and collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% interest rate. Why Refi is local. I encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on Scottsdale Road and the 101. I've been there. And I'll tell you, you will not get a sales pitch. No one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like like and trust them so much, and you can too. A due diligence-approved firm. With Y-Refi, you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-Y-REFI-34, 888 why refi 34 i was um i was just thinking about my conversation with the rabbi there and um how we ended on the theme the theme of hope which can seem airy and abstract at times or easy to trip off the tongue and lips at times but when you look at uh judaism just as much as you look at christianity that that is that is the ultimate message of how we're supposed to carry on no matter what slings and arrows we may face during during the day, during the week, during the month, during any period of our lives, which also includes throughout the news cycle, which we deal with so much here Monday through Friday up until our second hour. We kind of have our own little Sabbath here on this show, don't we, with the Rabbi Alush visits in our last hour on Fridays. And I appreciate how many of you have said how much you appreciate that as well. Just a little break from the frenzy and the crisis industrial complex we are 
forced into and foisted into. It's nice to have that um, that reflective moment as we go into a weekend, which I also hope is a reflective moment. And if you had a bad week, if you had a bad week, here's hoping for a better one. Uh, there is a reason that it is such a big part of both Judaism and Christianity. And um, there's a reason that even amongst the secular, um, that is a phrase, that is a term that is so relied on because it's important. Yeah, you can look at the Bible a couple different ways. The way um, that might be looking at it from, from the negative and the, and the warnings and the fire and brimstone. Or you can look at it as you can look at all life um, with lift and with idealism and with promise and with hope. And I hope that's what we do. I pray that's what we do. And I hope and pray that that's what you do too. Wish you all a great weekend. Until Monday, thank you, David, for everything. Thank you all for everything, giving us a little bit of your ears and heads and souls and time. May you uh, have a great weekend, and uh, God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.